HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. I'm Luke Griffin, and you're listening to Bushwick Podcast. Local stories like you've never heard before. Each week, we take you behind the scenes of the artists, activists, and entrepreneurs whose journeys collide in Bushwick, a special Brooklyn neighborhood that's changing faster by the day. As we've touched upon in previous stories, like last week's episode, Big Humble, Bushwick has never had a more dynamic food scene. It's not a stretch to say that in a city known as one of the culinary capitals of the world, Bushwick has emerged in these last few years as one of the most essential places to eat, not just in Brooklyn, but anywhere. Chefs have long been drawn to New York as one of the industry's true proving grounds, and today, many are drawn to Bushwick as the city's next great culinary community. This week, we're stepping into the journey of one of those chefs. I almost cried. Like I gave the guy a huge hug, and I saw the flames on my stoves turned on, and I was just blown away by the heat. <laughs> and I, I called everybody I knew that day, and I said, everybody come to Otis tonight. We're not open, but I'm cooking, and I'm gonna, I ran over to the grocery store, and bought a ton of stuff and created a menu for everybody to eat. It was just awesome. It's Thursday, May 16th, and this episode is called Bones Deep. When you step off the Morgan stop on the L train and look down Harrison Place, you won't see much. A cement factory, a cavernous warehouse covered in graffiti, some nondescript buildings and apartments. But sticking out from one of these buildings is a blue neon sign with an image of a tumbler glass and a name, Otis. From the outside, Otis might not look like much, but pass through the large door beneath the neon sign and you'll enter a space that the restaurant review site The Infatuation recently listed as one of New York's top places to eat with someone who's cooler than you. You walk in, there's some couches in front, you sit down and relax like you're sitting in a living room with somebody. And then we have a big, long bar that people can sit at and enjoy their meal and have a drink and a chat with the bartenders who are usually doing crazy shakes and all kinds of stirs and pours of cocktails that they've come up with. And as you make your way to the back of the space, we have a big open kitchen uh, with seating all around it. So the guests can kind of sit almost as if they're sitting in your kitchen and talk with you and interact. And I, I work in the kitchen most nights. That's Scott Hawley. And this is his restaurant. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, Scott Hawley. 
of uh, Otis from 18 Harrison Place in Bushwick, East Williamsburg. We're never sure what neighborhood we're in. Tucked away on the outskirts of Bushwick, where the neighborhood meets East Williamsburg, Otis has some of the most craveable food in the community. The food itself is very simple, straightforward, very few ingredients, but everything treated with honesty and integrity, at least we like to hope. What, what it says on the menu is basically what you get, uh, and what you get is usually something that has a lot of heart put into it. The menu includes items that range from a burrata surrounded by plate-scrapingly good sweet potato and pesto, to roasted beets with pickled celery and glazed hazelnuts, to a braised pork shoulder pasta so satisfying that longtime customers won't allow it to leave the seasonally inspired rotation. Come here on a Friday night and you may find yourself waiting for an hour or more. Because these days, Otis draws what seems to be one of the biggest, most passionate communities of diners in the neighborhood. It's remarkable considering that Otis isn't exactly in the kind of location where you could easily stumble upon it and hasn't done any kind of real marketing. Considering as well that the restaurant has only been open for about a year and a half, and you realize that behind this success must be something more than just good food. But as you watch Scott and his staff prepare the evening's meals in the open kitchen, or trade hugs and high fives with guests and with one another, you can start to imagine what that might be. We've been following Scott for the better part of the past year, and as he and the Otis team gear up for what will surely be the restaurant's biggest season yet, we sat down to learn about how one of New York's rising chefs found his way to Bushwick, and unpack what the future holds for his corner of the neighborhood's electrifying food scene. Scott was born in California and grew up in cities along the West Coast. Like many future chefs, he learned an early affection for food from his mother and his grandmother. More than anybody, they probably played the biggest influence. I'm probably not the first person to say that either, it's become a chef, but I think it all starts off at a really young age. Most people wouldn't decide this on their own because it's kind of, it can be torturous. <laughs> a torturous career path to take unless you're up for the long hours and the dedication and all that stuff to the craft. Uh, but yeah, my mother and my grandmother, especially putting me in front of the stove when I was a child, standing up on a chair, you know, whisking eggs or stirring the pot of stew or whatever it might have been, uh, really triggered me into figuring out that I wanted to be a chef one day. As a teenager, Scott worked at a pizza place that his family owned. But when he finished high school, he wasn't thinking of food as any kind of potential career path. As he describes it now, he was fairly directionless and spent a couple of semesters at college unhappily exploring different options. That all changed when a friend recommended that Scott try culinary school instead. And at Le Cordon Bleu in Scottsdale, Arizona, Scott realized that he'd found his calling. Once I got involved in that, that was it. I was in, I was in it like bones deep. I just really loved it. I loved everything about it. After he earned his culinary degree, Scott worked at restaurants up and down the West Coast in cities from Seattle to San Francisco, where he worked for world-renowned chefs like Daisley Gordon and Jeremiah Tower, who helped shape his early culinary identity. And at each place, I was either in a chef position or working underneath a team of very creative and aspiring people. So um, that's kind of where I found my inspiration, I guess, to create a style of food, which is something that kind of you're always changing and evolving with. Scott was coming into his own in the late 90s and early 2000s, a time when being a chef wasn't thought of as the glamorous profession that it can be today. This is pre-Anthony Bourdain and Kitchen Confidential, and where it's sort of the, I guess, the watershed moment or something where all these people open their eyes and say, wait a minute, I can be a famous chef or a food writer or a blogger or whatever that is. To put it simply, Scott spent his early years grinding. A lot of people go to culinary school and have this 
fantasy idea that you just go to culinary school, you learn how to hold the knife correctly, and you can be on TV next week doing your own TV shows. And it doesn't really work that way. You have to you have to put in the legwork first. Uh, a lot of discipline comes from your early stages of your career when you're working in restaurants and you're you're spending four hours peeling potatoes or cleaning peas. Over time, Scott worked his way up in different kitchens and learned the discipline and the skills necessary to define himself as a chef. And after nearly a decade of cooking on the West Coast, Scott felt ready for a new challenge in a new place. I think like every young and aspiring chef, at least, we all kind of dream of living and working in New York uh, and testing ourselves. And so around early 2008, Scott moved to New York City and soon landed an extraordinary opportunity cooking at the restaurant 11 Madison Park under the legendary chef Daniel Hume. Those names might ring a bell, because in 2017, 11 Madison Park claimed the number one spot on the world's 50 best restaurants list, a prestigious title that chefs can spend a lifetime chasing. Even when Scott arrived, the restaurant was recognized as one of the world's most prestigious. For many chefs, cooking at the future best restaurant in the world would be a career-defining highlight, but for Scott, it was something else. Something closer to a moment of clarity. At 11 Madison Park, Scott learned an entirely new level of discipline, spending hours, as he puts it, manipulating just one or two ingredients to perfection. And as he grinded away 80 or more hours each week in the kitchen, he saw two paths emerge before him. He could continue down the road of places like 11 Madison Park and submit himself fully to the craft of ultra-fine dining, at the expense of much of a life outside the kitchen. Or he could step outside the world of the elite awards circuit and find something more balanced. Ultimately, he chose the latter. So I wanted to kind of enjoy what New York had to offer and not be crammed into a, a kitchen 80 hours a week. Um, so that's why I, I think I did take the decision to leave 11 Madison Park was to kind of experience other things besides just standing in a hot kitchen for 16 hours a day. Outside the kitchen, Scott wanted a life. And just as critically, inside the kitchen, Scott wanted the freedom to cook, not just obsess over a handful of ingredients. So I found other work, uh, various small neighborhood type restaurants. I found that I really enjoyed having the creative freedom at those places, having a social life outside of that, uh, and having what I actually did make a really big difference in people's lives. Scott loved being close with his diners, seeing the way that his meals could lift spirits and bring people together. He spent the next couple of years working in smaller kitchens, and around 2010, he joined a group of owners to open a restaurant called the Bluebell Cafe in Manhattan. There, he was a chef in the way he wanted to be a chef, and his hand was in everything from the meals, to the kitchen's operations, to the overall dining experience. I d helped design the kitchen, helped design the menus, helped do the build out, uh, did all the hiring of staff, went through all the training processes, uh, and basically just orchestrated uh, from start to finish the, the whole design element of the kitchen. He worked with the same owners to help reopen another restaurant, the Paris Cafe. And for several years, life was good. Scott worked back and forth between the two restaurants and gradually moved into more of a managerial role where he trained new chefs and helped ensure that things ran smoothly. As Scott describes it, it was easy. But eventually, Scott and his wife, Michelle, realized that easy wasn't what they were looking for. We decided for ourselves and for our future and, and the direction we want our lives to go that it was, it was time to kind of give up on that cush, easygoing job that I had and, and really bite off a big challenge, which was finding a space 
getting our finance together, uh, designing the entire space, and then building it out, and then, and then furthermore, executing it as we envisioned it. In other words, Scott and Michelle realized they shared a dream to open a restaurant of their own. After the break, we learned what it took to make that dream into a reality. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. 20 plus years of working in uh, other people's visions and restaurants and doing kind of what they wanted me to do. Even as a chef, when you have the creative freedoms to write your own menus, hire your own staff, you're still working in a space that somebody else had a vision for that somebody else wanted to operate in a certain manner. Scott had spent his career helping other people execute their visions for their restaurants. As he and Michelle geared up to launch a place of their own, they needed to define the vision that they wanted to execute. In order to do so, they needed to interrogate every detail of the dining experience, and they started by looking for inspiration. The first step in that was, I think, for many, many, many nights of her and I uh, discussing every single speck of what we wanted. And that goes back to her and I going out for dinner, you know, a couple times a week, or not even for dinner, just going out to see spaces and eat and drink and see what the, you know, the local... uh, competition would have to offer just interesting places and we would go and eat and I would sit there and I would be staring off in the distance and my wife would look at me and shake her head like you're not even paying attention to me I've been talking to you for five minutes I'm like I'm sorry babe you know I I was listening to you but I'm also I can't believe that person's filling the water glass this way oh my gosh and that bottle's turned around backwards and all that you know I started to find all these faults in other places and almost it's just, it was kind of annoying for her, obviously, to not want to, go, not want to go out and share a meal because I would be so busy paying attention to every detail that was happening around me and never able to just enjoy the moment. Over months of intense exploration and discussion, Scott and Michelle designed every detail of their future restaurant, from the food... It's approachable, it's honest, it's just neighborhood, I call it comfort food. ...to the drinks... I wanted us to be sort of the neighborhood go-to spot for, you know, really good cocktails, an interesting wine list... ...to the space itself... They scoured locations all across North Brooklyn, from Bed-Stuy to Greenpoint, before finding the right one here in Bushwick. Bushwick obviously was one of the hottest destinations for us, but we just didn't think we were going to be able to find something here. And after hiring a couple different uh, real estate brokers and touring around on our odd days off, uh, I think I think my wife found this on her own through something. I, honestly, I can't remember because there was... Probably a thousand different uh, places we looked at. Scott and Michelle decided on a space that was something of a blank slate. An unused building here on the industrial edge of Bushwick. A canvas upon which they could bring to life their expansive vision. Like so many other new Bushwick restaurateurs, they were taken by the opportunity to work under a comparatively lax landlord 
in a raw but flexible building that could be molded as they saw fit. With the space decided on, next began the months-long process of converting that building into the restaurant of their dreams. Scott, of course, had been working in kitchens his entire career, and Michelle was an attorney with a knack for business operations. But his first-time business owners and restaurateurs, they had a lot to learn about what it meant to build a restaurant from the ground up, especially while doing so as husband and wife. For the most part, they recognized each other's unique skill sets and took ownership over different elements of the process. Scott over the kitchen, for instance, and Michelle over much of the interior design. But inevitably, conflicts arose, and they had to learn how to manage their tensions together. Uh, in all fairness, there, there has been some really dark and trying times where maybe we didn't quite see the same vision or we didn't quite have the same idea. Uh, and what we ended up doing, I think, based on our, how our marriage has, has worked out, is we had to learn how to trust each other uh, and understand who had strengths in certain areas. As challenging as the balance between life and business could sometimes be, at the end of the day, they found strength in one another, which was essential as the build-out became much longer and much more expensive than they'd ever imagined. But by the time they overcame their final hurdle and the space was ready to cook in, all of the challenges were more than worth it. There were moments where we looked at each other and said, what in the F are we doing here? Let's shut the shop down. Let's get out of this before it, before it kills us. And one day we finally got approved, and the next day I was able to get... Um, the gas company, National Grid, to come out and, and turn, physically turn our gas on. And it was six months after we thought we should have that step taken care of. And I remember the guy came in to turn on this, the, uh, the gas lines, and I just, I, I almost cried. Like, I gave the guy a huge hug, and I saw the flames on my stoves turned on, and I was just blown away by the heat. <laughs> And I, I called everybody I knew that day and I said, everybody come to Otis tonight. We're not open, but I'm cooking. And I'm gonna, I ran over to the grocery store and bought a ton of stuff and created a menu for everybody to eat. And it was just awesome. Otis officially opened its doors to the public in December of 2017. Like many new restaurants, it was a slow start. But for Scott, that just meant more of an opportunity for what he loved most, being up close and personal with guests and giving them an amazing, hands-on dining experience. You know, some nights we'd serve four or six dinners, uh, but it was a really amazing time because we got a chance to spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with those guests that did come in and that did give us a try. And, you know, we would cook their meals start to finish and we would talk with them all the way through and we've gained some really great friends. These new friends helped support Otis through the lean days of its early months. And today, they look more like family, at the heart of a passionate community growing around and within the restaurant. So much of what Scott and the team are building at Otis revolves around people. Not just the guests, but the cooks, bartenders, and waitstaff who bring the restaurant to life. As thoughtful as Scott and Michelle were in designing Otis's operations, they were just as thoughtful in designing the environment that the restaurant would foster. Working uh, for the last couple of places I worked at before I opened Otis, uh, I worked for some wonderful owners of Irish descent, uh, Peter O'Connell, uh, Sheila McDonough, and John Ronahan. And they were really uh, exceptional people to work for. They showed me what it was like to be a boss, but also have care and empathy and compassion for your workers. Uh, they paid everybody paid vacation. They gave everybody bonuses at the end of the year. They gave everybody paid time off if they, had, they needed it for some reason. They only, you know, they gave you days off as you needed. They didn't overwork you. And they were just really open and compassionate people. And I, I know that that's had a big influence on how I try to run Otis now. 
which is understand that people have lives outside of just the restaurant. The restaurant is, is work, you earn your living here, but most of us would choose, you know, we don't want to live to work, we'd rather work to live. This is kind of the mantra I try to live by. So try to give people days off. <laughs> Scott's philosophy for cultivating that environment is built on a simple foundation. Hire people with the right energy. Working in restaurants, you're working hand to hand with the same people day in and day out. In most cases, we work seven days a week, six days a week, uh, 12 hours a day, 16 hours a day in some cases. And so you're around these people all the time. And no matter how amazing their skill set might be, you can't really teach personality to someone. You can teach how to hold a knife, you can teach how to pour water, you can teach how to offer cocktails and things of that nature. But you really can't teach somebody's personality. So the first thing I do is look them in the eye and, and decide, are you somebody I can get along with? Are you somebody that, can, that likes me as well? It has to be mutual because you don't want somebody coming to work that's miserable every day. You want somebody that looks forward to being here. The perfect example of this philosophy is Otis's first hire, Chef Paul. Scott met Paul nearly a decade ago, when Paul was fresh out of culinary school. They'd worked together, and Paul made a big impression, as someone who was ambitious and talented, but humble and easygoing. Scott knew that when he opened his first restaurant, he wanted Paul to be his first hire. It seems, at least in part, to help set the tone for the new team. He brings so much to the team from a creative aspect, uh, culinary-wise. He does his own bread program. Uh, so we bake our own breads here. Paul's solely responsible for that. Uh, he brings a lot of the, the creative direction that we have because he's young and hungry and, and ready to make a difference in his culinary career as well by being the creative side of things. So we, uh, yeah, it's, he's a really good person to work with, mainly because our personalities combine well and we work solid together. As Scott describes it, like Paul, every member of the Otis team brings so much to the table. In terms of technical skills, sure, but more importantly, in terms of personal presence. It's through this shared excitement for being a part of this team doing this work that the Otis staff is able to provide an experience that reflects Scott and Michelle's true dream for the restaurant, something that goes far beyond just what's on the menu. That's success to me, I think. Like the fact that we're operating now, the fact that we, I think we touch a lot of people in the right way uh, when they come in and they leave here full and happy and, and see you tomorrow or see you next week. And then the next day, like their friends or coworkers come in and say, hey, my buddy was here last night and said this is a great restaurant. We had to come in and try it out. And then they had the same experience. And pretty soon it's just sort of like it turns into a big family tree of you know, people coming in and friends of friends of friends and family members of people that it's just, I, man, I'm, I'm sitting here like hairs on my back are standing up because I'm, I'm so excited by what we've created for that. A year and a half in, Scott sounds almost surprised by the restaurant's success in achieving that vision. After so many early nights of seating just a handful of diners, he can vividly recall, with what seems like a mixture of pride and bashfulness, the first night that he had to put guests on a wait list. I remember my wife coming in and she saying to me, like, wow, this feels abnormally busy. I said, it is. Like, look around. And, you know, every single chair uh, was filled with somebody in it and all of the space in the front, all the bar stools were full and we had people still coming in looking to sit down to eat and I was like I'm so sorry like there's no space for you right now but you know like I said apologetically like please take a seat have a drink like can I buy you a beer can I, you know what can we do to make you comfortable relax and I remember that being a special night when we went home and I was talking to my wife about it <clears throat> saying wow that was kind of cool like we had every space full and she, she was pretty impressed as well she's like well that's not why we built the place though didn't we expect it to be full I said well yeah but it's but it is full now what do we do next no matter how big Otis grows, however, Scott still makes time for what's most important, 
providing each guest with an amazing personal experience. It's important for me personally because that's that's what I'm all about. I love uh, hearing stories from people. I love seeing people, especially when they come back. And I really love initially meeting people the first time they come in because it gives me a chance to gauge them uh, and to make a personal connection with them so that maybe they'll choose to come back and join us again. And, and I don't know if it's everybody, but a vast majority of people that come in once come in twice, three times, four times. And that's a testament to what we do here. Now more than ever, Otis is cementing itself as an essential space in Bushwick. It's one of the neighborhood's true hidden gems, an up-and-coming restaurant that draws visitors from around the city. But it's also an increasingly active member of the business community here. From the beginning, Scott has received support and encouragement from nearby restaurant owners. You know, there's just it's just amazing how supportive everybody else has been in this neighborhood. And I think uh, instead of looking at other places as competition, you look at how you can help improve each other and how you can build on bringing more people to this area to support us all. And I think if you're doing something the right way, um, you're looking for everybody to be successful and to have their share of the customer base that comes in. And now, Scott is part of a growing group of business owners in Bushwick who value community over competition. I'm in a chat group with a bunch of business owners from the Bushwick area, all restaurant and bar owners, and we're constantly communicating with each other about how can we how can we help? Can you offer me a plumber? Can you offer a locksmith? Do you have a gas connection? Do you, you know, whatever. So that's one way that I've started to interact a lot more with the business owners of the area, um, just on a personal level, if there's anything I can offer, extra cooks or extra barbacks or whatever it is. Otis's growing stature here is a reminder that while so much of Scott's journey has been about turning other people's spaces into destinations, Otis has become a destination unto itself. A place where fellow chefs can talk shop or just enjoy a meal a place where new faces can become old friends, and a place where today's young chefs can start journeys of their own. As extraordinary as this all may be, for Scott, at the end of the day, there's still nothing better than the opportunity to delight a first-time guest. I think it's just fun. It's fun to see the reaction of people when they do come here for the first time because we're still relatively new and we're still relatively unknown and we still relatively fly under the radar in most cases. Um, but seeing the reaction for people when they do come in for the first time and like, whoa, we didn't even know this place existed. I mean, there's people that live literally around the corner that had no idea Otis was here. And when they do happen to come in because somebody told them on the subway or they walked down the street one day by accident or saw the light outside, um, and they came in and like, wow, this place is awesome. Like, what a beautiful space. And then they sit down and they have a cocktail. And they're like, wow, this is an amazing cocktail. And then they have a meal. And like, well, should, excuse me, but wow, this is what an amazing meal. And it's, I get to feel and see all that. And, and then we give a high five or a handshake or a hug when they leave. And it's like, they're like, dude, we'll be back. I can't wait to see this place again. And that to me is like so satisfying still a year and a half later. And that's the real reason why we built this space the way that we did. And I just hope that continues and I hope that people still discover us and come in and try us out and enjoy the space and have a good meal. After all this, you, like us, might be wondering, what about the name? Why Otis? My main thing I gotta do is I gotta get home and give, get Otis out for a quick walk before we get open. So that was, that was something that I didn't ask. The name Otis. Where does that come yeah, from? Yeah, so Otis, Otis comes from our dog. Um, many nights as Michelle and I were conceptualizing the place and one of the main things we were trying to figure out was what's what's the name going to be what are we going to call it because that's a huge huge part of the business really and we would go through night after night we'd have like 
all sorts of different ideas. That's it. That's the name. It's going to be this. And I, can, I mean, I can't even tell you what they are. There's some, some pretty crazy ones. And one night we were, we were dead set on a specific name. And Otis, who's our, our rescue puppy that we have, and he came and sat in my lap and I was kind of petting his head. And I looked, I said, that's it. This is like the light bulb moment. Why don't we just call it Otis? And my wife looked at me and started laughing. And she's like, perfect. Let's just do it. So now the place is named after our dog, Otis. That's just Otis the dog. Otis the dog. If you're interested in learning more about Otis the restaurant, you can visit them at 18 Harrison Place here in Bushwick or visit their website at otisbk.com. To see some very cute pictures of Otis the dog, you can follow him along with the team on Instagram at otisbk. We've got all their information in our show notes for this week's episode. We'd like to extend our sincere thanks to Scott, Michelle, Paul, and the rest of the Otis family for taking us behind the scenes. And as always, we'd like to thank you for listening this week. If you enjoy Bushwick Podcast, you can do us a huge favor by telling a friend, or even by leaving us a review on iTunes, which helps us reach even more new listeners. We'll be back with another new story next week. In the meantime, if you have questions, comments, or want to get involved, send us an email to hello at hearbushwick.com. That's H-E-A-R bushwick.com. Or you can always DM us on our Instagram page at Bushwick Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.